Hello and welcome to Oh No Not, the podcast where we talk about the lesser known, recently deceased individuals. You should know it by now, I think. Of life. Yeah, but I'm getting right? sick of saying the same thing. No, I mean, yeah, I mean the listeners. Oh, the listeners. Yeah, the listeners well, should know we're, it. We're getting maybe a new listener every week. Is that true? No. Okay. I like to believe so. <laughs> but even then, I mean, it says so right on the description, right? It's not like people are stumbling into it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Welcome. So we are in a limited time crunch here, so why don't we just begin? Yes, let's. Well, I should say, I'm Dusty. I'm Rick. Hello. Good to see All right, you. we got that out of the way. Great. All right, so it's funny. Um, last week, when we were talking about, when we did our lightning round, I said that, uh, you know, 90% of the people that I do seem to be musicians. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, maybe this year I would not do that. Well, these first two people first are two both are musicians, musicians okay. so we'll of just course. get that out of the way. So, my first person is France Gale. Do you know who this person uh-huh. is? All right. Nope. She died on January 7th at the age of 70 okay. of cancer. Uh-huh. Uh, she was a French singer who found success in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Ah, uh, three decades. Yes. A she, decade. she had a long, uh, long, successful career in, you know, this is about people who are the lesser-known people, but if we were in France, this person would be... It's kind Very known. I'm trying to think. It's not like a Barbara Streisand, like but... Like a Harvey Keitel? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you <Okay>. nailed it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a content... Like, uh, someone who we can compare... Like Not a like, Tina Turner? Yeah, like okay. a Tina Turner. She'd be like, a, very good, Rick. Thank you. It's so always you do second, know who this person is. The first is. one's the joke one, the yeah. second one's the real one. So, uh, <laughs> she was born Isabel Gale on October 9th, 1947 in Paris. Her Both her parents were in the music business, and her father helped her get her career started by the age of 16. She was part of this genre that I had never heard of, but now that I read up on it, I'm like... I am very familiar with this genre. Has that ever happened to you where you like find about a niche thing and you're like, oh, wait, I know all about this. I just didn't know it was called that. Yeah, like, oh, well, that's shoegaze. Yes. Who knew? Exactly. (laughs) So this this music is called Yee Yee. Yee Yee. Yee Yee, which is kind of like a teeny bopper French thing from the 60s. So very okay. uh, like hip jive, like like Austin Powers yeah, right. type of like, but in this in France, uh-huh. um, like uh, socket to me, yeah, that kind of thing, <laughs> exactly. Uh, kind of like Stereo Total, kind of rips off this sometimes. Okay, so um, uh, a producer told her when she was young that she should change her name because there was already another popular singer at the time in that genre called Isabel. So she started going by France, France Gale. Uh, her father wrote. Uh, songs for Edith Piaf, um, and so he wrote lyrics to her first hit in 1964 called Sacre Charlemagne. Wait, so, uh, wait she, so she's in Fra- France, and yes, she named she's herself French. France? Yes. <laughs> That's a, yeah. So, like, someone asked her to, like, change her name. It'd you be should like, be, be like, America yeah, Paulus. Like, yeah, f- I'm America. Then. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. That's fun. She got a big break, though, in 1965 by winning the 10th annual Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, yeah. As you may fun. remember from episode 12... When we discuss Clem Curtis from the Foundations, who appeared in the 1977 contest. So she won singing this song called Poppy Shaman. Oh, I'm not, it roughly translates to Wax Doll Singing Doll. Let me, would you like to hear this? Please. Okay. Yeah, it 
it's, it's like there's like one of those in every Wes Anderson movie. Exactly. But only one. Yes. And actually, uh-huh. one song she was famous for. Uh, do you know? Do you did you see um, Death Proof? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was that like Chick Habit song, like dun, dun, oh yeah, dun, 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 dun. that was a cover, an American cover by one of her of one of her songs. Okay, so that's the kind of music. Uh, so that song and many of her songs were written by Serge Gainsbourg, um, which is funny because turns out a lot of those had double meanings, sexual Duh, innuendos, uh, double, double entendres, entendre. and she was not aware of this. Like there was one song yeah. that was like. Uh, roughly translated to lollipops mm-hmm. and is all about oral sex but she claims she didn't know that but then there are some like videos online of her like dancing and people just like going at it <laughs> so uh she claims she didn't know about it until later and then was embarrassed but anyway which is also creepy because Serge Gainsbourg was a lot older than her and there's like duets with the two of them and yeah. it's just kind of creepy he's kind of a creep yes very I mean French people are creeps yeah. all of them in the 70s so yeah she was part of this yee yee movement very, you know, cutesy, looked like a teenager, had a bob cut. And then as the progressed into the 70s, she kind of tried to shed that young girl image, mm-hmm. um, moved to Germany, started recording in German, hmm. did a lot of like more like melodramatic over the top songs, and then kind of did some disco-y songs. Okay. Change um, with the times. In 1980, she had a hit duet song with Elton John called Donna Poor Donner, which... Uh, is weird because they both sing in English and French, and Elton John really doesn't know what he's doing when he comes to singing in French, but it was a hit. Uh-huh. Uh, then in 1987, she released an album called Babacar that found international success, kind of put her back on the scene. Um, in, 90, in the early 90s, in 92, her husband and collaborator, Michael Berger, died, and soon after she found out that she had breast cancer. Uh, when her eldest daughter died in 1997 from cystic fibrosis, she retired from music, and she kind of spent the remainder of her life doing various humanitarian projects and weirdly playing poker. Like she would show up in like celebrity poker matches in Europe. Yeah. And that's kind of how she ended her life. But yeah, just super cool. She was my favorite uh, singer, French singer. Mm-hmm. No, the France Gale. Oh, right. She was yeah. my favorite French singer. And in uh, college, I was kind of obsessed with her. There's this one song that I had on this compilation of hers that I could like I spent like an hour listening to different songs of hers mm. on YouTube trying to find this one song that I was obsessed with and I couldn't find it so I won't play it but anyway that was a weird tribute oh no not <laughs> France Gale Laisse tomber les filles laisse tomber les filles un jour c'est toi qu'on laissera Uh yeah if there's any listeners out there who think they know the song that Dusty is uh is thinking about. Anyone that went to college with me in Sweden remembers me playing that one song <laughs> over and over again. Please hit uh, me up. Cool. All right. So my first person uh, is a woman by, the, woman by the name of Erica Gardner. You know Erica Gardner uh, enough? I, I do because you told me about it. All her. right. So she uh, she died at the age of 27. Um, the official cause was the brain... second youngest person we've covered. Who's the first? Uh, Jesse Zazu. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. She was 28. She was 28. So this might be the youngest. All right. This might be the youngest. So she died of a uh, brain damage following a heart attack. So she died on December 30th. Uh, She had a heart attack on December 23rd. It was actually her second heart attack. She had one in August um, after the birth of her second child, who uh, was named Eric. And that was named after her dad. And that's probably a good place to kind of start Erica's own story. Good segue. So, um, so she was born May 29th, 1990, grew up in Brooklyn. But it was really the event that happened on July 17th, 2014, that kind of 
skyrocketed her. Not, that's a terrible way to yeah. say it, but like that's kind of put spotlight. her on the stage. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so that was what happened that day was her dad, Eric Gardner, uh, was on the street uh, in, I forget where in New York, but in New York, NYPD officers approached him on suspicion that he was selling cigarettes without the tax stamps that New York requires um, for the sale to be legal. Yeah. I guess they got a complaint or something. And uh, uh, they got to stop that crap. Yeah. Can't, was, you know, it's not um, cool. <laughs> it's like well, such a, yeah, such a ridiculous, like, whatever. Yeah. And so, like, um, so Eric, or, yeah, Eric Gardner said that he wasn't telling him. The police went to arrest him. Uh, one of them by the name of Daniel uh, Pat, Patel, Pantaleo is the name of the officer. Um, he put him in a chokehold, which, according to NYPD policy, was an illegal, is an illegal thing to do. You can't put him in a chokehold. Um, Garner said, uh, I can't breathe 11 times. He lost consciousness. And then, uh, they left him there on the ground. No one performed CPR or anything on him. Um, they didn't check to see if he was breathing. And then they, then they, you know, found out he wasn't breathing. They took him to the hospital and he was pronounced dead like an hour later. Mm-hmm. And like all of it was caught on video. Yeah. You, did you see the video? Oh, yeah. Do you know? Yes. Okay. So they like went around and it was like a huge, huge thing. Yep. Uh, the cause the official cause of death was com- quote, compression of neck, Compression of chest and probe positioning during physical restraint by police, which is ba- he, he got choked to death yeah. by police. Uh, there were no indictments handed over to the police, even though there was this like crazy video and everything. And it was really like it was after Trayvon Martin. It was after Trayvon Martin. It was after Michael Oscar, Brown. It was after Oscar Grant. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was kind of like it was it was in the thick of these, but it was also like this really. I think because the, I mean it's always because of the video these things like end up being. Like, they galvanized so much protest around it after the fact because of the video and stuff. And this was, like, a case of that. Like, Well, this was explicitly. a case of where it was just so blatantly Yeah, murder. and it always is. Like, it was so blatantly murder. Right. But, I like, the th- like I think with a lot of those, though, a lot of them are blatantly murder, but there's no video. Yeah, but there was video, there was video of this. Yeah, yeah there was like, it was, like, it was indisputably murder, mm-hmm. and the cops got off. Yeah. Not even, like, like just a complete, and like, no indictments. No yeah, I'm like sure they got a raise or, or something. Got promoted um, yeah, and chief. <laughs> So uh, it was huge in the Black Lives Matter movement and subsequent protests. And Erica, uh, his daughter, became this like really big activist in these roles, um, it, like during these uh, these protests and and kind of just the whole movement. And she said, "quote I'm just trying to get the truth out there to tell his side of the story. He was being a loving, caring man that that he was, and he was murdered. I'm never giving up. I'm never going to forget, and I don't want the world to forget what happened to my dad. I mean, yeah, he's out there trying to make a buck." Or, you know, trying to, like, provide for his family and then... Yeah, but it wasn't like he was selling crack. Right, he was selling cigarettes. He was selling cigarettes, who cares? It was ridiculous. It wasn't like he was selling them to school children, like... It was, I mean, uh, it was a complaint that, like, yeah, what a... Yeah. I mean, there's other people that have talked, yeah. spoken more eloquently about this, including Erica Gardner. Right. Um, so what she would do uh, after that is she would organize these twice-weekly die-ins on the corner where her dad died. Um, and then she marched and organized a lot for like Black Lives Matter. She set up a foundation in her father's name called the Gardner Way, the Gardner Way Foundation. Um, and it's it engages communities in social justice uh, through political awareness, music, arts, and activism. Uh, in 2016, she was like a big proponent of Bernie Sanders' campaign. She appeared in like an ad and kind of went on some speaking engagements with, with him. But she was like it, she was one of the people that were was interviewed a lot um, whenever there was like a sort of a one of these uh, police murders, basically. And so she'd be interviewed um, as kind of a representative of the Black Lives Matter movement and kind of like a top organizer or whatever. Uh, and yeah, it was, I don't know. It was kind of just, it was super sad. It was like, I followed her on Twitter. On Twitter, she was like really kind of great. She like would not mess around and she would very, she was very uh, vocal and very, let's say, 
mm, she was using the form of Twitter properly, which is to say, like it's a just, lot of just it's a shame she's not stuff. around for this week. A lot of people had a uh, you know really kind words to say upon her death, including New York Mayor Bill De Blasio, who said, "quote." The city would miss her unshakable sense of justice and passion for humanity, which was ironic because she really tore de Blasio to shreds over and over. Here are some of her greatest hits. <laughs> About Shredding de Blasio. De Blasio. Yeah. Uh, quote, just because you love black pussy doesn't mean you love black lives. Quote, God has a way of exposing fraud. Bill de Blasio can say whatever he wants. Black people here get no justice in his administration in New York City. Quote, Andrew Cuomo and de Blasio can only agree on one thing, and that is covering up this modern-day lynching by their henchmen. So kind of f*** off Bill de Blasio. Right. And, uh, and yeah, I guess that's a good way to place to leave it for yeah. her. Like, that was kind of her, like, mindset and kind of her, like, how she spoke. And kind of like, yeah, she wasn't taking shit from anybody. Yeah. I recom- highly recommend, like, checking her videos out and her speeches and stuff. She's a really, like, great speaker. Um, and, yeah, it was super bummer. It was, like, a really, really big bummer to, to watch that all go down. So, oh, no, not Erica Gardner. All right. Well, for now, for something completely different, um, I'm going to do Fast Eddie Clark. Fast Eddie Clark. Uh, do you know? Uh-uh. Are you aware of the Motorhead? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know okay. exactly what You know? Is. Okay. Uh-huh. So, he died on January 10th of pneumonia at the age of 67. Uh, he was not the founding guitarist, but the best known British guitarist uh, that was in what is called the classic lineup of Motorhead mm-hmm. from 1976 to 1982. Classic lineup being Lemmy Kilmeister, bassist yep. and vocalist, Phil Animal Taylor, who okay. was the drummer, uh, and then uh, Fast Eddie Clark. So he was born on October 5th, 1950, in a suburb of London. Uh, he began playing in local bands in the early 70s, and 1973 joined a blues prog band called Zeus. Uh, he recorded two albums with the band before apparently getting fired over an argument uh, where he was complaining his solos were being drowned out in live shows. So he got like he got <laughs> like th- he got like kicked out of the band, yeah. and then like a week later they're like, "Ah, just kidding, come back." He's like, "Oh, screw <laughs> you guys." So he like played in a couple other bands until 1976. He was weirdly working as a side gig, refitting a houseboat, and one of the other people working on the boat was this drummer, Phil Taylor. And Taylor had just joined Motorhead and introduced him to Lemmy, who was looking for a new guitarist. Uh, the trio would end up staying together, like I said, for the next six years uh, and release six albums during that, uh, including the classic Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades! How was that? That sounded more like uh, Macho Man Randy <laughs> Savage. <laughs> That's right, that did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ace of Spades! <laughs> um... <laughs> His last show with the band was on uh, May 14th, 1982. Uh, there is some debate of why he left the the band, but it's it's kind of generally deg- agreed upon Got that he was of solos. Uh, he was unsatisfied with the their most recent album called Iron Fist. Uh, apparently, they did uh, this band called the Plasmatics, which is Wendy O. Williams, the Plasmatics. Apparently, they did this album where they like would do each other's songs and then. Uh, covered "Stand by Your Man," and he like really wasn't into that, and huh. thought it was like too gimmicky and beneath him. Interesting. Though he is denied that's why, but yeah. the other guys in the band said that that's why, and like um, mm. Phil Tiller said that like he was you know kind of hard to work with. But anyway, he started a band after that was kind of a super group with the bassist from a band called UFO and the drummer from the Clash called Fastway. Though the other two members kind of left after a few years. I think the drummer for the Clash, Topper Heaton, like was only in it for a little bit. And he ended up playing with this band kind of on and off for the rest of his career. He, in 2014, released a solo album that might be one of the worst album titles <laughs> I've ever heard. It's called Make My Day Back to Blues. 
Back to Blues? Yeah, like I think it's like a blues album called Make My Day. Make My Day. Back to Blues. Anyway, but he claims, you know, his time during uh, Motorhead was the happiest time of his life and that they, you know, created something that's going to stand the test of time. And Mm -hmm. I certainly like, I don't know about you, but I love Motorhead. I love Motorhead. Like, I remember when I used to work at this video store in high school and college, almost every time uh, me and a friend of mine would work together, which was multiple times a week, we would, in order to get people out of the store, we'd put on this uh, Motorhead tape (laughs) of of this time (laughs) and kind of drive people out of the store. So, uh, well, one and one weird thing, I recently saw a documentary about Lemmy where the tone on his bass sounded like a guitar. Yeah. So like that intro thing, like the from uh, Ace of Spades, is actually a bass hmm. and not a guitar in the beginning. So a lot of the stuff I thought was this guy was actually <laughs> Lemmy, but he was still a ripping Maybe guitar player. They didn't player. really need him. Yeah. So Poor with fat. that, I say all oh, the guitars <laughs> getting drowned out by the bass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh no, not Fast Eddie Clark. <laughs> Oh, I should say, so Lemmy died. Uh, yeah. Lemmy and Phil the Animal Taylor both died within two months of each other. So now all of the original, all of the classic lineup of gone. Motorhead are gone. So, oh no, not Motorhead. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. this will be our last Motorhead performance yep, on this true. show. Uh, so cool. Take us home. All right, so my last person is a fellow by the name of Dave Toski. Have you are you aware of this guy? Nope, not at all. No. Oh, this would be exciting so. then. Uh, oh, 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 oh! This is the uh, this is the Zodiac killer uh, yeah. guy, right? Okay. This is the original Dirty Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you know I what? Just ruined. <laughs> That's like the whole. All right. All right so we'll uh, if you it. have anybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Dave Toskey died uh, at the age of 86 after a lengthy illness. Uh, complications of pneumonia is what I read somewhere. Uh, he was born July 11th, 1931 in San Francisco. Lived his whole life there. He served in the Army in, uh, in the Korean War. Returned and was hired as an inspector for SFPD in 1953. And he kind of rose his way up uh, through the ranks to homicide detective. Uh, during his career, he had a penchant for bow ties and trench coats. <laughs> Creepy. Uh, plastic tip tipperillo cigars. He munched on animal crackers, as made famous in a thing later on that we'll I'll mention. And he had an upside-down quick-draw holster for his 38 caliber pistol that he held uh, close to his chest. And apparently, Steve McQueen, when he was visiting the SFPD for research for bullets, saw Toski, and he decided to hold his gun like that. So he was like the inspiration for a lot of uh, Steve McQueen's bullet, whether it's the Tipperillo cigars or the the flashy dress or all sorts of stuff. Uh, But that movie came out in 68. The big thing that happened that kind of changed his life forever happened on October 11th, 1969. He was put on this murder case of Paul Stein, a taxi driver who'd gotten shot in Presidio Heights at the corner of Washington and Cherry. Uh, One of the things that he noticed at the crime scene was that part of Stein's shirt was torn off Mm. Um, and mm. it showed up two days later in a letter to the San Francisco Chronicle from the Zodiac Killer. Uh, and that was sort of this beat for the rest of his life in a weird way. Uh, the movie Zodiac, the great, great movie Zodiac. Who plays him in it? Uh, he's played by Mark Ruffalo. So oh. Mark Ruffalo plays, he's one of the kind of the top three guys in the movie. Yeah, him, but Joan Ruffalo Hall. doesn't seem like a very badass in that movie. I don't know if it's he's kinda, like a badass, though. Well, he's the... I thought Dirty Harry was based after him. I mean, yeah, but just in the fact that I think Dirty Harry is more based off of Bullet, and Bullet just they just use his gun trick. Gotcha. 
He wasn't like, I don't know if he was a badass badass. Oh, I just assumed that he was like going around beating up hippies and taking I don't names. Th- I don't think so, no. But so, yeah, so in Zodiac, he's Mark Ruffalo. Uh, they have the Animal Crackers bit in mm. there a few times. Uh, but Would you recommend that movie, Rick? Is that a good movie? It's a pretty good movie, it's yeah. Pretty good movie? No, it's like one of the greatest movies yeah. that <laughs> has ever been made. I highly recommend it. So in a Los Angeles Times obituary, Toski talks about thinking that they'd caught the Zodiac Killer in November of 1969 when someone claiming to be the Zodiac called a TV news program. This is in the movie, too. Um, they put a trace out on the call uh, as the guy talked, and they got a hit. Uh, this is what Toski said, quote, We traced it to a hospital in Oakland, and we talked to one of the supervisors there. He told us, you've been talking to a man we just gave full privileges to. He's a mental patient. Uh, and so he stayed on the case from there. In the 70s, he worked uh, the zebra murders. Do you know the zebra murders at all? Uh, I'm, I've heard of it, but I can't place it. So that was when a group of Nation of Islam followers killed 15 white people over a period of 179 days to uh, mo- try to motivate a race war. I don't think San I did Francisco. know about this. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. What was it in the 70s, 80s? Uh, it was nine, yeah, it was, this, it was in the 70s. I think it was 70, 71 or 71, 72, something like that. So four of them were eventually convicted after they got a tip from somebody else. It was it was like a crazy time in San Francisco. Like Zodiac, this stuff you had, uh, yeah, the Weathermen like doing. It was like mm-hmm. just insane insanity over here. So he was still on the Zodiac case in April of 1978 uh, after the whole Zodiac thing had kind of died down for a while. San Francisco Chronicle received another letter, uh, and this is part of it. It says, "This is Zodiac speaking. That city pig Toski is good, but I'm smarter and better. He will." He will uh, get tired and then leave me alone. But the handwriting. It's nice that he said that he was good. He could have just been like, this guy sucks. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's like, yeah, he's he's all right. He's just better. The thing with this letter is that the handwriting was a little bit different um, than before. And they knew, like, so it was a fake and they've gotten fakes before or whatever. Uh, This time, though, the police, like, noticed something weird about it and they asked Toski about it. And the rumor was that he had faked it himself (laughs) and sent it to the Chronicle. Just to, like, stay in the. I I mean, it was kind of like, so. It's a little bit fuzzy. After the fact, now he says no. And after the fact, SFPD says that he wasn't under investigation. But at the time, there were a lot of rumors about that. I think some of the confusion seemed to be that he had faked other letters to the Chronicle, kind of like louding himself, through huh. like, but not like Zodiac style. And that somehow got conflated in the story. Whatever it was, it was kind of like this big moment in his career where he got knocked down to like a uh, pawn shop detail after that. <laughs> he was a meter maid. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, he like it was sort of the end of his like real career. Like he yeah. stayed on, I guess for a pension or whatever. And in 85, he retired. Um, but yeah, that was kind of it. Like that, whatever happened in that weird moment in 78, they were, uh, he was, his career was kind of done. And so after that, um, he did like some private, like detective stuff and whatever, private security. Uh, but Zodiac was never really far from his mind. He said he'd often go to the corner of Washington and Cherry, where that Paul Stein murder took place, um, always trying to find clues. Uh, and he said, I always park exactly where I parked uh, the radio car that night. I look around the intersection. I wonder, what the heck happened? Did we cover all the bases? Did we miss anything? Why didn't we get this guy? I ended up with a bleeding ulcer over the case. It still haunts me. It always will. So now he's at peace. Oh, no. <laughs> his ulcer finally stopped bleeding. Um, so, oh, no, not Dave Toski. All right. Yeah, a weird, weird story, that guy. Are there any interviews with this guy? Oh, yeah, you yeah, tons. Uh-huh. Huh. All over the place. Interesting. Take a look. But, like, like video interviews. Oh, sure, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. 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 yeah I mean, he's been around, and, like, 
every year I think he'd get interviewed about the like every year whenever there's like an anniversary like 40th mm. or whatever. Yeah, they're like, I'll whatever. talk to you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sends out letters. Do you, mm. do you need to talk about this? Yeah, I do. Uh, I think like it sounded like he had his pet theories of who did it mm. and all that stuff, and he would get letters like once a week or so from people claiming to have evidence about mm. it. Um, but yeah, he's like one. He's him. And whoever the Gyllenhaal dude, I forget who he's. Oh, Robert Graysmith. I think mm-hmm. those are kind of the two. Is that guy still around? He's still around. Yeah. yeah. Those are the two that are still like. Wait, who's Robert De Niro? De Niro. Robert. No, Robert. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, he was. Um, he was a newspaper dude that died a while ago. Uh, I forget his name. What is his name? I don't know. Yeah, all I remember is those three guys and the Trans American Building. That's all I remember. Yep, from that movie. those are the two <laughs> like, <big> points. <laughs> the time lapse of that being built. No, it's a great movie. Yeah. Highly recommended. Oh yes, Zodiac the movie. Awesome. Is that is it better than Alien Three though? It's a yeah. It's better okay. than Alien Three. Okay. Yeah. So if is it better than Gone Girl? Uh, I think so. I didn't see Gone Girl, but yeah, of course it is. We should just <laughs> do the the podcast about the films of David Fincher. That's what this going to turn yeah. into. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's his best movie. It's his best movie. Yeah, I, I'll I don't stand think that's by that. Saying a lot though. Well, he's got some good movies. Like uh, oh, you like the the game. The game's really good. Uh, Fight Club's good. Seven's great. Seven's not great. Seven's really good. Seven's. I think Seven Very and good. Fight Club. If we went back and watched them now, it would be laughable. I think they were great when we were teenagers. Yeah, maybe. No, I don't. When's the last uh, time you watched Seven? Uh, maybe five years ago. Oh, okay. I haven't seven. seen either of those since. Yeah, Fight Club I think would be laughable. Yes. Well, Fight Club has a lot of like bad like cultural things associated with it. But Seven, I <laughs> well, <think> Seven, now... <laughs> Seven has a bad cultural thing. <laughs> it... Kevin Spacey. Yeah, but that goes with the character. Yeah, well, yeah, he wasn't yeah. he wasn't playing a character. Mm-hmm. Well, we just talked about the adventure for three minutes. Yeah. All right, uh, if you have any people, places, or things you'd like us to cover, uh, write in to oh no not podcast. Uh, gmail.com That's or right. follow us at... on the Twitter at oh no not RIP that's oh no no trip at twitter.com still 18 uh, yeah 18 at least two are bots <laughs> so <laughs> and one is me I don't know oh uh, no you said you didn't oh that's right I don't yeah because no. it was a bad feed yeah no it's a bad feed but uh, you should still follow if more people follow then I'll start posting more but I don't really care enough. Crowd sources. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> until next week. I hope I don't see you in the events. <laughs>